Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach. I think most of us understand that we're called to be good stewards of the money we've been blessed with, but we're also called to share our knowledge, our ideas, our resources, so that we can be a catalyst for impact. By sharing how our guests are making a difference, our hope is that it'll inspire and encourage you, our listener, to use your passion, your talent, and your resources to be that catalyst for impact and to help make our city a more educated, more productive, a more caring and compassionate place to live and work. Today, we're going to learn more about two Milwaukee brothers who did just that. They used their resources to develop a foundation that supports initiatives that lead to prosperity, strong families, and vibrant communities, something they defined as American exceptionalism. Their name is a recognized name, but one that you probably had no idea made such an impact in our city. Then we're going to step into the world of education, not as a student, not as a teacher, but as an outside observer to see how a local organization is contributing to this idea of American exceptionalism. My first guest today is Rick Graber, President and CEO of the Bradley Foundation in Milwaukee. Welcome to the show, Rick. Thanks so much, Jill. Great to be with you. We are happy to have you here and learn more about the Bradley Foundation. The Bradley brothers, Lind and Harry, believed in supporting individuals and companies who develop self-reliance by taking risks, ones who develop grit and make the most of educational opportunities, and most importantly, or one of the most important things, they work hard, right? They believe in the richness of community and culture. Wow, that sounds like a really great organization to be a part of. Tell us about your background and what drew you to the Bradley Foundation. Well, Joe, my career's taken a lot of interesting twists and turns over the years. For for many years, I was a, a lawyer here in Milwaukee, worked with the, the Reinhard Berner firm, uh, ultimately became the managing partner of that firm, and then, then life really took a change. Uh, and I was asked by President Bush to serve as his ambassador to the Czech Republic and, and did that for almost three years. Mm. A wonderful experience for me and our family and, and the wonderful city of Prague. Mm-hmm. And from there went on to work for a big company, Honeywell, a company anyone, everyone's heard of. Uh, And at Honeywell, I was responsible for government relations for Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, and served in that role from Brussels, Belgium, and then moved to Washington, D.C., where I was responsible for global government relations for Honeywell, which meant that I was responsible for our government relations team all over the world, which was very exciting. Your passport must be pretty impressive. (laughs) It it was a a busy time and a lot of air miles, (laughs) for sure. Absolutely. Well, what was it about the Bradley Foundation that drew you to them? Well, I served on the Bradley board uh, even when I was with Honeywell, so I was familiar with the organization during my my many years in in Milwaukee and knew some of the great things that the foundation did. And uh, when there became an opening for the president uh, of the Bradley Foundation, for the leader of the Bradley Foundation, I I thought, wow, what a a really neat thing to do to, to... Stick my toe in the water on that one and went through a long uh, interview process for that position and ultimately was successful. And uh, my wife and I and our our family are delighted to be back in Milwaukee. Mm, I bet it's an honor to be serving on such uh, serving with a, a great organization like the Bradley Foundation. You know, I don't think many people understand the magnitude 
of the impact that the Bradley Foundation has had and actually continues to have in our city. I know I didn't until I started to research it. Listen to, to these facts here. The Bradley Foundation has an endowment which totals almost $900 million Dollars, and they grant between forty and fifty million dollars annually to one hundred to to hundreds of public charities in Milwaukee and across the United States. Tell us how this all got started. That's really a great history, a great story in in Milwaukee. Uh, it, as you mentioned, it's the story of two brothers, Lyndon and Harry Bradley, who grew up on Prospect Avenue on the East Side in the late eighteen hundreds. Uh, neither one of them went to college or. or, or I don't think even graduated from high school, uh, but were tinkers, were inventors, were entrepreneurs, and they started a business literally from nothing. Uh, and through lots of stops and starts and successes and failures and uh, near bankruptcies to soaring profitability, created a company that almost everyone in Milwaukee has heard of, the Allen Bradley Company. Everyone's mm-hmm. seen the Allen Bradley clock on the south side of Milwaukee, and that's what these two brothers did. They they created this business called the Allen Bradley Company that, that ultimately was an international company with uh, sales all over the world. Uh, an incredible success story. They're really the American dream. Uh, that company ultimately in the mid-1980s was sold to Rockwell. Lind and Harry are no longer with us. Lind died in 1942, Harry in 1965, so obviously the business was not sold for a couple decades uh, after Harry's passing. Uh, But it created a lot of money at that time, well over a billion dollars, which at the time was the largest uh, sale of a privately held business in the United States. Big deal. Wow, yeah, yeah. Uh, And a good portion of those proceeds, uh, between two and three hundred million dollars, were placed into what is today the Lind and Harry Bradley Foundation. And that was really the start of this iteration of what's known in Milwaukee as the Bradley Foundation. Mm. And so they really embodied those principles themselves, obviously, the hardworking, you know, the willing to take a risk, all those good things. Well, that's, the, that's really that. the challenge then is to, to fulfill the, the mission and vision of these two brothers who haven't been with us for a long time. And that, that's the challenge that we at the foundation face every day. Mm. Uh, neither brother were uh, prolific writers. They weren't particularly philosophical, but we did know uh, the, the key principles and core beliefs of, of both the brothers. And one was a, a fidelity to our Constitution. They believed in our system of federalism and separation of powers and individual liberties like freedom of speech and freedom of religion. They clearly believed in free markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, they believed that their success was attributable to limited regulation from the government. They, they wanted the opportunity to succeed and to fail and to and to make a difference. And they believed for our democracy to thrive, you needed a strong civil society, families, churches, neighborhoods, schools, and you needed a citizenry that was well-informed. So it's really those four areas, the constitutional order, the free markets, the 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 civil society, the informed citizens that we have determined is very consistent with what Lind and Harry uh, believed in and would have believed in were they still with us today. Yeah, and, and they talk about uh, this Ameri- this idea of American exceptionalism. They believe that America was unique, that this truly is an exceptional country, and, it, and it's because of these bedrock things like our Constitution, like a strong civil society, you know, I lived in, and worked, obviously, in Europe for uh, about six years, and 
it was really clear to me that there is something different in this country when it comes to philanthropy, when giving of resources, when giving of time that you just don't find in other places in the world. And uh, I, I was taken by it. I remember when at, at our embassy one day I, I tried to convince our folks on our team, many of which were Czech citizens, that we ought to take a day away from the office and work on some charity. And it we ended up doing that, and it was a great, terrific day, but it, it wasn't easy to get there because mm-hmm. it's just not part of the DNA uh, as it is in this country where we just naturally think about giving back. Yeah. And again, whether it's volunteering or, or giving of your own resources, uh, the the United States is unique in that respect. Yeah, and I think sometimes it takes getting away from the United States and seeing how well, other people live and how they Absolutely. how they live life and and how we really have it quite Quite good here in the United States, we, right? We take for granted our freedoms. We take for granted all the, the fantastic things that go on in this country every single day. Yeah. And we and, shouldn't do that. Right. And we're here to highlight all, you know, Absolutely. the wonderful things that are going on. Uh, the Bradley Foundation was founded in an attempt to preserve and extend the principles and the philosophies of the Bradley brothers, like Rick was just talking about. Many people associate them with their significant contributions to major civic projects like Miller Park, uh, Milwaukee Art Museum, the Milwaukee Symphony, but they also support lesser-known urban organizations, organizations that prevent kids from choosing a life of crime or assist families with home ownership or counsel at-risk men. And they also helped get the first school choice program in the country off the ground almost 30 years ago. Very interesting. Stay tuned to hear more about how the Bradley Foundation chooses which organizations to support. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking with Rick Graber, president and CEO of the Bradley Foundation. Since its establishment in 1985, the foundation has had more than 13,000 grants totaling over $1 billion to more than 1,900 organizations, with about $357 million of that given to organizations within Wisconsin. There are so many great nonprofits doing great things. There's over 52,000 nonprofits in Wisconsin. How do you possibly decide who is awarded a grant? It's really hard. I, mean, that, the, <laughs> I imagine <laughs> the, it there is. There are a lot of uh, wonderful organizations uh, all over the community and all over the country that are doing great things, and everyone has a, a fantastic story. So it, it is difficult to vet, but that's indeed what we do. We start with, uh, you know, is this particular grantee consistent with the mission and vision of the foundation? Is it a grant that Lind and Harry Bradley would have approved of had they still been with us? Um so that's the first level of analysis. It, it really is it consistent. And I, I talked in the earlier segment about the, the four different gear, giving areas. Is it an organization that is uh, loyal to our Constitution and to our system of federalism and separation of powers? Does it strengthen civil society? Does it promote and inform citizenry? Does it promote free markets so entrepreneurs can uh, enjoy successes and and in this country succeed, fail, and start all over again. Mm -hmm. So that's the first level. And then I'd say that the second level is really an analysis of the organization and particularly the leadership of the organization. We often say internally that we fund chefs, not restaurants. We're, Ah. We're looking for strong leadership. So we're making a bet on a person or a couple of people. 
often in a very small organization. Um, we don't micromanage. Uh, some similar foundations do tend to, to look at things from a, a top down. We look at more from a bottoms up. We figure our grantees know more than we do sure. about how to do their job. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's absolutely the case. Mm-hmm. So we make a bet. We do monitor. We do pay attention. But we don't micromanage. Uh, and as long as uh, the, the leadership in an organization is moving the ball forward and making progress and making a difference in their own space, uh, we'll continue to look at organizations like that. Okay. Well, we understand that funding to support that first school choice program in the country 30 years ago came from the Bradley Foundation. That's fantastic, a great accomplishment. What has been the foundation's role within the education landscape in Milwaukee in particular? That's a story that's gone on for 30 years, which, uh, again, shows that in this business of philanthropy, and I come out of the business world, but in this business of philanthropy, you have to be patient because things don't always happen in a week or two or Mm -hmm. a quarter or even a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in the mid-1980s, a a series of circumstances occurred. You had a governor in Tommy Thompson who was interested in school reform. You had a state legislator by the name of Polly Williams. Uh, a Democrat from Milwaukee's north side that was unhappy with the quality of education in her community. And you had the Bradley Foundation there to provide some resources to do the the research, do the policy work, or find someone who could do that. We funded folks that that did that sort of thing. And it all came together, and it started the first school choice program uh, in this country, in Milwaukee, where parents were making the decision, not some bureaucrat, on where the best place for their, their children to be educated. As I said, it's been a 30-year experiment. We haven't seen the end of this experiment yet. But you've seen progress in this city where today more than 40% of the kids in Milwaukee don't go to a traditional public school. Mm-hmm. They go to a charter school or they go to a private voucher school. But parents are making decisions and searching for um, the best place for their kids. Now, there are obviously a lot of problems with education in the city of Milwaukee, and we see among those big problems are a shortage of talented teachers and administrators. Uh, We see a lack of facilities uh, for particularly charter and choice schools, and we see a need for more parent engagement. So those are the things that, that at the Bradley Foundation we are most focused on is finding ways to enable parents to have greater choice, greater opportunity to send their kids to the place that works for for them. Mm, yeah, that's that's wonderful. I mean, I, I I understand that there's a difference between a charter school and a choice school, right? You know that the funding is different and uh, funding is a little bit different. Uh, charter schools get a little bit more money per pupil from the state than than a private voucher school. So a private voucher school could be a religious school. It could mm-hmm. be uh, a Catholic school. It could be a Lutheran school. There are other variations of that. Uh, And then the law also allows for chartering of schools. So there are a couple, a few chartering organizations within uh, the city of Milwaukee. Milwaukee Public School System is one of them. The city of Milwaukee, UWM, Mm -hmm. uh, is a third. But it it is a a charter school has more ability to shape its curriculum and uh, education process than in a traditional public school. Okay. The bottom line, though, there being that Parents have a choice. Parents have a choice, Yeah, uh, in, including the public schools. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we can see that education is certainly important to the foundation. In fact, one of your grantees, the Center for Urban Teaching, is our next guest. Um, what in particular impressed you about them? 
Great organization, uh, and again, some great leadership, and uh, I believe you'll be talking to them, Krista and Hannah, in, in the next segments. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier that one of the big problems we see is a shortage of talented teachers and administrators. It's a key for any organization. It's certainly a key for any school. You've got to have good leadership, and you've got to have great teachers. Center for uh, Urban Teaching has uh, is an organization that trains teachers to succeed and to thrive in an urban environment, which is a tough, tough teaching environment. Uh, but these folks have figured out a great way to do that. And uh, I wish that there were many more Seafoots out there mm-hmm. to, to be doing the great work that they're doing. But, but they are fulfilling one of those needs to a better educational system uh, within the city of Milwaukee. And that's crucial for, uh, or, you know, extremely important for the Bradley Foundation. As Absolutely. We understand it. So that's, that's, uh, well, that's it, gets, it gets at the informed citizens, having a, mm. a, a more informed citizenry and a stronger civil society mm. that glue outside of government that holds our country together, that has made our country unique and exceptional, as we talked about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to talk to Seafoot, or Center for Urban Teaching, in a little bit. But before we go, I just want to ask you, what, what do you th- what's something about the foundation specifically that you wish more people would know? I, th- I mean, the Bradley Foundation, I think, is an underappreciated, to some extent, asset within the city of Milwaukee. Uh, what a great legacy and, and what a great opportunity for all of us to be stewards of this uh, endowment that has done so much for the city of Milwaukee. And I, I think it's kind of been a a, a secret in mm-hmm. many in many respects. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I wish people would take the time to go to our website and take a look at all the great organizations that we fund. It's very transparent. It's very clear who we give money to and how much money we give to organizations every single year. Uh, and, and just to see that in this time of hyper-partisanship that um, uh, there, there are some just great things and some unsung heroes in our city and across our country that, that, that continue to believe in the American dream and, and, and looking for a better day for all of us. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I would encourage the listeners to go to the website because I learned a lot about the organization from a history standpoint. Again, as you talk about the who the uh, the grantees are, and it's just I think it's something because I, I'm going to guess that many people don't know the impact that they have had. And so, if you go to the website, you're certainly get edu- you'll get educated on all the ways that the Bradley Foundation makes a difference. You talked before about uh, visiting the website. Before we leave, we would like for you to share any contact information you have. If someone's interested in getting involved with the Bradley Foundation, learning more about it, talking to you or anyone else in the organization, what's the best way for them to Uh, contact? uh, Just go to our website, bradleyfdn.org, or just Google the Bradley Foundation, and you'll find out all about it. Uh, uh, And, and again, take a look at who we're funding. All of these organizations need resources. All of these organizations need help. Bradley Foundation can't do everything. We can help, and we do help a lot of fantastic organizations. But uh, consistent with that strong civil society, find something that you're passionate about and go for it. Volunteer your time. Give of your resources. It really does make a difference. Absolutely. Very well said. Thank you. And thank you for all you do and the Bradley Foundation does for our community. Thanks so much, Joe. You're welcome. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to learn what the number one determining factor is in student achievement. Is it teacher teacher quality, social interaction, parental involvement, or good study habits? 
think about that for a moment and we'll be right back. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. So I asked before the break what the number one determining factor in student achievement is. Is it teacher quality? Is it social interaction, parental involvement, or good study habits? Well, all those things are important, and I'm sure all you educators out there have your own opinions, but according to a number of educational resources, the quality of the teacher is the number one determining factor in student achievement. And exceptional school leaders set a vision that empowers and retains top teaching talent. My next guest, as we said in the previous segment, talking with uh, Rick Graber, that uh, these the next organization is the recipient of one of their grants. They are the Center for Urban Teaching, and uh, uh, they support uh, helping to develop teachers and leaders that will cultivate the next generation of informed and capable citizens. So welcome to the show, Krista DeBoer, who is the Executive Director, and Hannah Hensel, who is the Director of Programming. Thank you so much, Jill. It's an honor to be here. And we're thankful to Ellen Becker that uh, to have this opportunity to share our mission at the Center for Urban Teaching. Wonderful. Well, we're happy to have you here today. So what do you gals think about this research that says that the quality of the teacher being the number one determining factor in student achievement? What do you, what do you guys think about that? Let's talk about that because if you were to ask any school leader, they would tell you that the number one challenge facing them right now is finding the right qualified individuals who are committed to teaching our students. Right, Krista? Absolutely, Hannah. You hit the nail on the head. Um, Research that was recently released by the Nonprofit Public Policy Forum agrees with that sentiment and notes that all trends in forecasting actually are showing that this shortage of teachers will continue to increase. And we also know that over the past eight years, enrollment in Wisconsin teacher preparation programs has decreased by 30%. Declining 30% in teacher prep programs, that's a big problem. Absolutely. It really is. And if you combine a teacher shortage with the profound failure of so many of our schools today, you have a recipe for disaster. The need for quality teachers is real. The need is great. The need is now. And the future of our children, community, and country depend on our combined efforts to fulfill that need. Uh, Seafoot can help universities in our private charter and choice schools close the teacher shortage and quality gap by expanding its programming. And the only thing I would really add to the teacher piece is that um, teachers don't work in isolation. And so what we found is that teacher quality is the number one thing that drives student performance. And the number one thing that drives teacher performance is the quality of the leader, which Uh. is why our organization is committed to developing both the okay. teacher and the leader. Well, so tell me, are you teachers yourselves? And how did how did you guys come to the Center for Urban Teaching, or as we affectionately say, Seafoot, right? I actually got to begin my journey with the Center for Urban Teaching as an undergraduate. I grew up in central Wisconsin on a farm in a town with a booming metropolis of 500 people. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was attending Wisconsin Lutheran College when one of our founders, Dr. Ray Dussault, approached me and said that he thought I had the dispositions to be an effective urban teacher. 
the first two times he approached me, I thought he was absolutely crazy. <laughs> uh, who was I to teach in an urban setting after growing up um, in a small town? But God actually had other plans for me. After the third time he approached me, so I definitely did not say yes the first couple of times. Okay. Uh, but after the third time, I agreed to join him for a tour of some high-performing urban schools in Chicago. And literally almost the second I stepped into a classroom, I knew instantly that this was my life's calling. Do you think a teacher needs to have an idea when they're going through uh, through their educational process in college whether they want to be in an urban setting? I mean, do you think as you went through your your college years that you said, I want to teach here or I don't want to teach here? I think exploration is part of the process. And so one of the reasons why Seafood exists is to offer that opportunity to explore if this is for them or not, because maybe they never thought about it in the past. So getting in and seeing it in action is an opportunity to see what's possible out there and what opportunities are out there. Yes, okay. I agree. It was critical to my personal recognition and development that this was something that I wanted to pursue. Prior to having seen it in action, I really didn't understand what it meant to be a high-performing urban school. Um, so after graduating, I actually began my teaching career at Hope Christian Schools on um, 25th and North. Uh, and as a teacher, I actually grew frustrated with the number of well-intentioned people that entered the classroom and could have really been exceptional at teaching, but were simply unprepared to face the challenges of the urban environment and ended up leaving. We were actually poised to expand our school, and the number one challenge that was facing us was not funding or space at that time. It was a simple question of who will teach our children, hmm. and we couldn't answer it. So when an opportunity to work full-time at the center became available, I knew I needed to use my gifts to help build a pipeline of great teachers and leaders that could serve our children, not just at Hope Christian Schools, but um, throughout the city. Hmm, okay. Yeah, I, I would share a similar sentiment of uh, first saying no a couple times <laughs> to the person that said, come explore this opportunity to teach in the city. I grew up in Milwaukee. Um, it's, it's where I was raised in the 53206 zip code, which you've probably heard documentaries about um, mm. the poverty that's impacting that area. And when asked to teach in the inner city, my first thought that came to mind was, Wait a minute. I know what uh, my classmates and I put my teachers through growing up, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I don't want to be on the other end of that. So it wasn't until I went on a tour with the Center for Urban Teaching as a sophomore in college that I understood what was meant by high performing. I had I had just hadn't seen it um, the way I saw it when I took a tour. So mm. being able to see it in action through tours gave me an idea of what was possible. So in 2010, Seafoot asked me to join the founding summer school team to teach as a senior in college to continue growing uh, my skill set as a future teacher in the most practical way to develop any craft, which is you practice it, you right. get feedback, you practice right. it, you get some more feedback. Mm -hmm. So that summer school teaching experience when I was a senior changed the trajectory of where I saw myself. And as a result of Seafoot, I had multiple job opportunities before graduating, and Krista continued to support me as my personal Seafoot coach and mentor. So Seafoot was not only there to prepare me in the classroom, but they followed me from college into my first position and provided me that ongoing support that was so needed in those first couple years. Mm, well, that's wonderful. I mean, everybody needs a mentor uh, and someone to walk alongside them on their career path. I think it's great. Krista, you had mentioned that you were uh, unprepared for the challenges. Um, 
Can you tell us what those challenges might be in working in urban schools? Sure. So uh, while the name Milwaukee actually means good or pleasant land, you might be surprised to learn that Milwaukee is the fourth poorest city in the United States. We're one Mm -hmm. of the most segregated cities in the nation. We have one of the highest black male jobless rates in the U.S., We are one of the top five drug-infested cities in America, and we also have one of the highest incarceration rates for black men. When you look at what that actually looks like inside of the school environment, it has led to the largest racial achievement gap in the nation. Mm. What does it mean to have the largest racial achievement gap in the nation? Well, let's consider a black male student in Milwaukee. If he is average, in the fourth grade, he will score lower than his peers in all other cities he will only have a 50% chance of graduating from high school and only a 10% chance of graduating from college. Yeah, and we don't stop there with those statistics, right? So that's where um, we have to do something about this. So despite the statistics, together we really can change the edgescape of Milwaukee. Um, And if we work together to rewrite these statistics that that Krista mentioned, um, researchers predict some major changes. So a one-year increase in average years of schooling for dropouts re- reduced murder and assault by almost 30%, motor vehicle theft by about 20%, arson by 13%, burglary, larceny by 6%. These are real changes that can happen by the quality of an educator. Statistics currently show that high school dropouts, this is crazy, high school dropouts die an average of 9.2 years earlier than their peers. Wow. Wow. That means that providing someone with a quality education is literally giving life back. So it is a matter of life and death. And as a Christian who also gets to share my faith with students, it's a matter of eternity as well. Mm. Uh, So bottom line, This work goes way beyond the classroom. The actual instruction teaching part is easy. It's what goes beyond that that presents the challenges in addressing the whole child, their emotional, spiritual, mental well-being that are often impacted by generational poverty, trauma that a large number of our students face. Well, I think the looking at things from an eternal perspective is key. I love that piece. Um, We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to dive into what the Center for Urban Teaching is doing to prepare the next generation of great educators that will teach and lead in our city. We'll be back in a moment. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community. With your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach. And I'm talking with Krista DeBoer and Hannah Hensel from the Center for Urban Teaching. So, ladies, what do you school what what do the schools need in order to be successful in light of these challenges that you shared in the prior segment? Our schools need quality teachers and leaders to move the mission forward of offering a high-quality education to all students. Right on, Hannah. I mean, the number one thing that they really need, and this will be across anybody you talk to, any uh, school leader in Milwaukee, they will say, we need a highly qualified, highly talented um, pipeline of teacher and leader candidates. Okay. So so how then is CFOOT, or Center for Urban Teaching, how are you guys working to meet this need then, this this need for the qualified pool of teachers and leaders? 
Well, our mission at the Center for Urban Teaching is to identify, prepare, and support high-performing urban teachers and leaders. So what does that look like? In training, we believe there's three core elements that every teacher, leader, school, and scholar, uh, or students we call scholars, should reflect. And that's, number one, high expectations. We have to Mm -hmm. exemplify that academically, behaviorally. Respect. We have to have that as well for everyone, from yeah, everyone, that's a big every one. time. Yeah. And the third component is we have to have unconditional love. It just has to overflow in what we're doing. So our formula for success then is really quite simple. Early recruitment, immediate exposure, intensive training. We have to have that practical experience. And then the ongoing support. We identify teachers and leaders early. We have to uh, recruit top teaching talent as early as possible. So we get in as early as freshman year of college. And then the Mm. top leadership talent we look for as early as their second year of teaching. Mm. We prepare teachers and leaders through that immediate exposure piece. And that's uh, some of those tours we talked about earlier to open up a vision for what's possible in our classrooms and schools and then offer that intensive training. That really demystifies the magic of a great classroom and school. It focuses on those specific techniques and skills more so than just philosophy and theory and reading it in a book. And then we have that practical experience piece that allows participants to put that theory into practice. And that's uh, part of our program is this summer school internship that we offer. And that's a way for future teachers to get that hands-on practice along with future leaders to, to start practicing what does that look like to have leadership in action. And the last thing we do is support. So we support teachers and leaders by assisting with job placement and then providing at least two years of one-on-one coaching and monthly professional development as well as leadership development opportunities, including a master's in leadership and innovation with principal licensure offered collaboratively with Wisconsin Lutheran College. So those components of identifying, preparing, and supporting are extremely important to reaching a vision for our schools. Wow. Well, it sounds like a simple concept, but it's really intensive. You know, my question would be, is it working? I mean, what, what kind of impact is the program having? Thanks for asking, Jill. Uh, Teacher and leader candidates that are graduating from CFOOT's program are better prepared, better retained, and better positioned to have a positive impact on student achievement in our inner city schools. What we're finding is that people who go through our program, um, 100% of them are reporting that they have increased in their personal confidence as a teacher or leader, their competence, and their character as a result of their training and experience. Wow, 100%. That's that's great. Wow. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And 88% of alumni, teachers, and leaders actually serve in the field for four or more years. Um, That's actually compared to national averages, which show that approximately 35% of teachers leave the profession during their very first year in the field, and that by the end of the fifth year, over 50% of them have left the field completely. Is that oh, is that across the board or specifically for urban teaching? That is across the board. Okay. So it doesn't matter what setting wow. they're teaching in. That's just the industry average on attrition rates. Hmm. Um, and it's even higher in urban districts. Wow. Um, so that's great. So we're getting teachers prepared. They're staying in the field, but 
the real critical question that we look at is are they having an impact on student learning? Because if we're getting them in the classroom and they're staying there but not impacting learning, then it's for naught. Right. Um, and so what we're finding is that 100% of CFOOT partner schools beat both city and statewide averages on the Wisconsin School Report Card. And the, yes, Yay, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, and three key areas on that student growth, closing achievement gaps, and overall accountability. And so what that actually indicates is that students at Seafoot Partner Schools experience more and faster academic growth than they would in an average school anywhere in the state. Mm. Uh, so what we're doing is making a difference, not just for the teachers and leaders that we're preparing, but for the students yes. that they're serving. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, congratulations on that success. That's definitely uh, worth sharing and repeating and making sure people are aware of. Well, what would you say to a teacher then who's feeling called to teach in an urban setting or maybe someone who's interested in learning more? We would say get involved now. Uh, don't wait to find out if this is for you. Seek out opportunities to engage with this work. And you know what? God will open the door further for you or maybe he'll close it, but you won't know unless you try. So right. get involved. There's nothing magical. We say this all this time. There's nothing magical about turning the tassel when you graduate. If you didn't have the opportunity to practice and get that intensive training prior to entering the field, really any field, right, uh, you will not be prepared. And it's as simple as that. So if you're a person interested or teaching and leading in Milwaukee or looking to learn more and get involved with the, the great work, there's a lot of ways to do that. So we say get involved now. Okay. Well, there's obviously lots of things that we could go on and on about. We have limited time, but uh, uh, I had read on your website that you have a vision for the future of expanding your pipeline of teachers and leaders by 2020 so that you have 500 alumni serving in the field which includes teachers in Central America. You want to talk about that a little bit? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so as you mentioned, while we have alumni serving across the world and the nation and across um, our state, our heart right now is in Milwaukee. And so that goal that you noted to get 500 actively serving by 2020, we're starting right in our backyard and really focusing on Milwaukee first. Great. Um, because great. we believe that a 500 highly effective alumni are actively teaching or leading, it's going to provide proof of what is possible and create a stronghold in that city. Um, when we reach that uh, goal, approximately 20,000 Milwaukee scholars will be served by a CIFA alumni teacher or leader. Uh, right now, we have about 278 alumni actively serving, um, and 214 of them are actually right here in Milwaukee, and we're currently working to finish placing this year's pool of graduates to add 125 uh, grads to the field who will join that army to serve in our classrooms next fall. Wonderful. That's a great vision. What about if someone is listening from a different state or they listen to the show and it gets shared, which we love to, to hear when that happens. And someone says, geez, this, this is such a great program. Can your program be replicated? Can what Seafoot is doing here in Milwaukee be replicated around the country? Absolutely. What we found as we've worked with different countries, different states, is that what we're doing is transferable. It's transferable across any demographic. It's transferable across state lines. It's transferable across countries. Um, it's transferable across languages. Um, so it definitely can be replicated, and we are looking forward to expanding in the future beyond just Milwaukee. Uh, however, we, we believe that an army is more powerful than a single soldier. And so we're building okay. up slowly in the city. And then once we see um, 
a number hit, we will start looking to expand into other regions outwards. Okay. Hashtag Milwaukee first. Yeah. Right? Right. Okay. Well, how can people get connected? There's a couple different ways uh, that we would say get involved and get connected. And the first thing we'd start with is to pray. Pray that God would continue to send the workers and the provision for the vision because we do know that there's a need for teachers. We talked about the talent pipeline um, being down 30% nationally. Uh, God continues to bless our organization, but we would just ask for continual prayer. And anybody can do that. I mean, it doesn't cost anything. Add Seafoot to your list of of on your prayer chains, um, you know, your personal prayer. Again, anybody can do that. Absolutely. Yes, there's power in that. And the second thing we'd say is uh, to advocate. Connect us with other individuals or organizations that might be interested in supporting our work. Uh, the other thing you could do is tour and volunteer. Come see this thing in action. That's what Krista and I did early on in our uh, entrance to this opportunity. So we'd encourage you to do the same. We mentioned that we're celebrating our 10th anniversary of our summer school program, which is happening right now. This is a great opportunity to see our program in action. You can also visit our website to learn more, cfut.org. That's cfut.org. Another way you can uh, get involved is to donate. We have worked incredibly hard to ensure that we are 40% self-sustainable, which means every dollar you donate goes directly to programming. And, of course, we'd ask that you join. Get involved. Become one of the 500 teachers to have an impact on our city. Wonderful. Well, that's a great call to action or calls to action, I should say. That's great. Thank you so much for being here, Krista and Hannah. Uh, I want to thank all my guests today, Richard Graber, who is president and CEO of the Bradley Foundation, and as we said, Krista DeBoer and Hannah Hensel from the Center for Urban Teaching. Thank you guys for all the ways that you reach out and give back to our community to make it a better place to live and, of course, to work. If you'd like further information about the people or, or the organizations we talked to today, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. You can also listen to the show live by tuning in via the iHeartRadio app or going to iHeartRadio.com on your laptop or your tablet. Or you can ask Alexa to play WISN AM 1130 on your Amazon device. Also, for previously aired interviews, you can visit our website at ellenbecker.com, and we're excited to announce now that you can listen to podcasts now on demand on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. Join us again in two weeks as we talk with other inspiring guests who will share information about how they are moving the needle regarding issues that affect our community. We hope this will inspire you to use your passion, your talents, and your energy to get involved. Get involved with a local nonprofit in your community and bless someone in some way. Find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Happy Sunday.